to the second chapter of Ruth. We're spending Sunday night in the month of November in, in the book of Ruth. And I don't know if you know this, but a week from this Thursday is Thanksgiving already. And so that means just as soon as we bump into Thanksgiving, we bump into Christmas. And we've got a night in Bethlehem coming up. This Saturday we will be giving away boots to needy children in Truckee. This Saturday we're at 10 to 1. Got about 300 pairs of boots over here that we will be putting on little feet through the day. Looking forward to that. That's always a lot of fun. And uh, I think all of our men made it through the turkey shoot on Saturday and nobody got shot but the turkeys. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, no turkey will be injured. <laughs> and, and then starting the first Sunday of December, uh, we will be doing, as we've done the last several years, a Lenten series of services where Jesse and I will be tag-teaming. And um, we're going to be looking at these attributes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. And uh, so we'll be doing that, alternating through the, the month of December. I just don't know where this year has gone, but it has. And uh, how many more angel tree people you need? Okay, you better talk to Mrs. Hoig over here. We'll see if, uh, yeah, you know. I'll, I'll catch it later for having said that, but uh, well, it's good to have you with us tonight. And uh, again, wonderful book, this book of Ruth. And uh, one, you know, there's, there's a lot of little twists and turns, and uh, it's always been a fun book for me, but Boy, I'm finding Jesus hiding behind every paragraph now. And what a rich, rich book. And, and you know, the thing that's interesting here, what is the backdrop of, of Ruth? Uh, what, what town are we in? Bethlehem. Do you think that might be looking forward to something else? It might. And so it's, uh, it's all these wonderful things, and I think that as we go through it tonight and finish... I'm ready to preach next week. Next week, Mr. Cooley, next week's when it gets a little crazy. Remember when we were talking at the coffee shop? You know, what's this lady doing under his blanket in the middle of the night? <laughs> we were talking about that. So if you come back next week, we'll tell you what she was doing under his blanket in the middle of the night. Okay? So that's just uh, kind of spice up next Sunday night. You know, you might want to come back for the, for the PG-rated version. Okay, so let's start tonight by standing together and going to the second chapter of Ruth, and we're going to, be, we're going to begin by reading the first 16 verses. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. 
And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So Father, what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book we have here in the Old Testament. And Father, there are many times in the New Testament as we are reading that we are told that something that happened in the Old Testament was a shadow or a type of something that was going to be revealed in the life and ministry and redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of those books that the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ is foreshadowed again and again and again and again. And when we start to realize that and we, we stumble across some of these blessed hints of a Savior who is yet to come. It comes alive. And I pray that it will come alive for us tonight. And we will see Ruth as ourselves, as your church, as a foreign people with no privilege in the kingdom. And Boaz as our kinsman redeemer like Christ who came to this earth in our flesh and bone 
to redeem us and bring us unto himself and make us one with him and one with one another. So, Father, I pray that we would leave here tonight with just a little more wonder and a little more awe at the way you have woven the intricate pieces of history together and that the story of your redemption that started in the book of Genesis when you created is a story that not only lives on in the pages of our Bibles, but it lives on in our hearts today. As Jesse said to us this morning that Jesus loves us. He didn't, it's not past tense, it's present tense. He loves us today. He loves us. May we sense that in this story in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to just make a suggestion today. If you weren't in the morning service, I would, I would really like to encourage you to go up online and listen to it or watch it. Um, also, I think there's five copies of there's some CDs out here from the morning service. Um, God spoke powerfully through our brother this morning. I told him when the service was over that I almost got saved. But I'll tell you, it was one of those messages that everybody could have stayed home today except Wayne. And it wouldn't have been a waste of time for Jesse to come and have just spoken that to me. It was a powerful, powerful, powerful message. And uh, like I said, you can watch it online, you can listen to it online, or you can grab a CD on your way out, but uh, it's worth checking out. Last week we started off with this story. After a 10-year sojourn in the land of Moab, Naomi and her husband and two sons had gone to Moab because of famine in the land of Judea. After they arrived in Moab, Naomi's husband died. Her sons took wives from among the Moabite women, and for what looks like a period of probably about 10 years, her sons died. And basically left Ruth, um, or Naomi, with nothing. And at that time, she heard that God had visited the land of Judah once again. The rains had come, the crops were growing. And that's where all of her kinsmen were, and so she's going to return to Bethlehem. And her daughters-in-law tried to follow her. She did her best to tell them to go home. Orpah finally did, but Ruth stuck it out and said, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where they bury you, they will bury me. And she went with her. The last thing in chapter 1 tells us that they arrived at the time of the barley harvest. And the thing we need to understand about the culture of that day, that in a culture where widows were often forgotten and thus poverty-stricken, these two women were just striving to, to make it, looking for the very basics of life. Fortunately for them, it was the time of the barley harvest. And so Ruth went out to glean along the edges of the fields, Now, again, there's history here that we need to understand because as she went to glean in the fields, this was keeping with provision from the law of Moses and Jewish customs. The word glean appears in one form or another 12 times in this chapter. 
And this practice of gleaning in the fields was a form of Old Testament welfare, for lack of a better word. So turn with me to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. Dick, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. <laughs> I just had to give it to him just a little bit there because he was sticking it to me just a little bit ago. So we got what goes around comes around, right? <laughs> Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, or 19, 9 and 10 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so Ruth fills two of these, doesn't she? She was poor and she was a sojourner. Keep going one more book to the right, or two books to the right, to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, says, When you reap your harvest in your fields and forget a sheaf, do you know what the sheaves are? You know, they would, they would cut the grain, they would tie it up in bundles, and they would leave these bundles, and then somebody would come along with an ox cart or something later, and they'd pick up the bundles. And he, he's basically saying, if when you're done and you look back over your shoulder and there's a sheaf or two still standing in the field, don't go get it. And here's why. You shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner and for the fatherless and for the widow that your Lord, your God may bless you in the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. When you gather your grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So here's the picture. When the the Hebrews would harvest their fields, when they would harvest their vineyards, when they would harvest their olive orchards, they made one pass, and whatever was left, they weren't called to go back and pick every final grape or knock every olive out of the tree or pick it all up or, or whatnot. And they weren't supposed to harvest clear to the edges of their field. They were to leave a swath all the way around the field as well as the gleanings and any spare sheafs out in the middle. And that was for the poor. It was for the poor to go. Now here's the interesting thing. Here's where it differs from our welfare system of today. This provision that was made for the poor was not harvested for them and handed to them. They had to enter the fields. They had to enter the vineyards. They had to enter the orchards and harvest the gleanings for themselves. Why do you think this is there? You know, as a pastor of 41 years, I have dealt with more transients than most of you are ever going to see in your lifetime. They come to our door and they are needing lodging, food, gas, something. And I'll tell you one thing, without exception, 
those who have come and said, can I work for some whatever? And we give them a job. I mean, this sanctuary has been vacuumed by them. Windows have been washed. Pine needles have been raked. Those people, when they leave here with a bag of groceries or whatever they leave with, their heads are high. Their heads are high. Because it wasn't just handed to them. They, they worked for it. They earned it. There was, there was a pride in a job that earned them something. And this is what this is all about. This is preserving one's dignity. There's this provision that is made for the poor and the sojourner that is among them, but they had to enter the field and they had to harvest it themselves. But the provision was there for them. The provision was there. And that's what Ruth is doing. She is heading into the fields of Boaz. Now, in the barley fields where Ruth went to glean, here are some of the reapers. The reapers would pass through the fields and they're cutting the grain. They're tying it into bundles. And what was left behind was for the poor. And then the gleaners would come. And here's, here's a Ruth-type person. She's going through the field and she is picking up the stalks and the heads of the grain that have been left behind. And she is making provision for herself and for Naomi through this. And in verse 8, let's go back to Ruth, <coughs> chapter 2, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And when this is spoken to Ruth, she falls on her face at the feet of Boaz and, and she, she, she says, Why have I, a foreigner, found favor in your eyes? And he says this, and we read this last week. Oh, well, first of all, there's, there's Ruth before Boaz. I'll tell you what. Go up on a search engine. Write in Ruth of the Old Testament or Ruth and Boaz. There is some artwork that will knock your eyeballs out. A lot of the old masters did a lot of paintings on this subject. And so there's Ruth saying to Boaz, what have I done? What have I done? I'm a foreigner. What have I done to find favor in your sight? And the rumor was out about Ruth, and he says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you have left your father and mother and your native land and have come to a people that you did not know before. There are some key words in this study. I've already said the word glean appears 12 times in this chapter or a derivative thereof. But there's another word that appears in this chapter and it's the word favor. She found favor in his eyes. And this word favor comes from the Hebrew word chen which simply means grace. She found grace in the eyes of Boaz. 
Boaz extended grace to Ruth. And what is grace? We, we talk about this all the time around here. What is it? Unmerited favor. And so let me ask the obvious question. What do you have to do to earn unmerited favor? <laughs> what do you have to do to earn unmerited favor? Nothing. You can't earn that which is unmerited. You can't earn it. You can't do enough. We just watched two weeks ago in this sanctuary the movie about Martin Luther. And I'm reading his biography right now by Eric McTaxis, the biography of Martin Luther. It is out of this world. And I mean, it goes so much deeper than the movie does. But that guy was, I almost said hell bent. He was heaven bent (laughs) doing all of these works. Just hoping that he could do enough, do enough, do enough, do enough. And the revelation that came to Martin Luther was that we are saved by grace and grace alone. God's good favor extended to us, not because we've earned it, but simply because he loves us. Now, you're probably not going to like this. This is one of the great parts of the book, Jesse. You'll like this one. You know where this revelation came to him? He was sitting on the toilet. He had been studying the book of Romans and he's contemplating in the Jake, which was the John of the day. And it was while there that this revelation came to him. Isn't that great? Come on! This is, I mean, and all Christian history changed after that. After that revelation that came to him. I just threw that in for extra. But it's got a whole chapter on that. Good old Martin. I'll tell you what, if there was one thing Martin Luther was, it was human. (laughs) He was human to the core. Unmerited favor. What are the things that we look at in the Old Testament? And Jesse, what's the name of that book about finding Christ in the Old Testament? Is that what it's called? The book about finding Christ in the Old Testament? Yeah, Christ in every scripture. You know, Many times when we think about Jesus, we think, you know, he only hangs out in the New Testament. But he hangs out in the Old Testament, too. And when you start studying, especially a book like Hebrews, I was reading in Colossians tonight, we get these things that this thing happened, but it was foreshadowed by this event. That there was something coming down. And wasn't it David Limbaugh? Finding Christ in the Old Testament. He's the one that wrote that book. Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. That there are these types and there are these shadows. And what they are doing is they are holy hints that are pointing forward to the Messiah. When you read the book of Hebrews, you're going to see it again and again. He says every piece of furniture that was in the tabernacle and the temple pointed forward to the Messiah. The reason we did this is it pointed forward to the Messiah. Why did we slaughter bulls and goats and lambs? It pointed forward to the Messiah. And that's what we've got coming down here. The Old Testament is filled with types and shadows of God's redemptive plan in Christ. And that's why we see here uh, a shadow of God's salvation plan in which he reaches beyond the nation of Israel to the Gentiles. There were other women in the field that were gleaning And much like the Syrophoenician widow that came to Jesus with the issue of blood. 
much like the, the, the Shunammite lady in the Old Testament. These, these foreign ladies that came and they found God's grace. They found God's healing. This is what Ruth is finding. She is a Gentile. And she's finding favor. God is already reaching beyond Israel to the Gentiles. And you've got to understand this. In the world that Ruth lived, she didn't have a lot going for her at this point in her life. First of all, she was a woman. And we need to understand that outside of being married, she, she was kind of just out there. The women did not have the same social status that women have today. In fact, even in Jesus' day, the young girls didn't learn to read and write. They learned to keep house and raise a family. It was the little boys that went to the rabbinical schools and learned to read. Jesus elevated women to some place that they had never been elevated before when he spoke into their lives and drew them to himself. So here's Ruth. Here's what she's got going for her. She's a woman that's single. She is a widow. She's poor. And she's also a Gentile. She's got four strikes against her in the culture of her day. And she what? And she's caring for her mother-in-law. We are studying a book in our community group on Wednesday night called Prayer. Experiencing the Awe and Intimacy with God by Timothy Keller. And the one thing he talks about in there, he says, we are not ready to receive the grace of God until we realize how destitute we are. You see, Jesus started the gospel with this line, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said that, he, he was speaking Aramaic, and the word for poor in the Aramaic was the anawim. And the anawim were subsistence livers. They were the ones that went to the, to the city square every morning hoping that somebody would hire them for the day. We have down at the corner downtown some of the anawim that gather every morning to work. And when I drive by there at noon and there's still some of those day laborers standing out there, my heart always drops because, you know, if they haven't found something by noon, they're probably not going to find anything. And Jesus says, blessed are the anawim in spirit. Blessed are those who understand that without Christ, they are bankrupt, they are lost, they are, they are out there alone. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. As long as we come before God and try to enter into his kingdom by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, by thinking that if I just try harder or give more or go to church more often or read another chapter of Scripture. No, the bottom line here is we've got to understand we are Ruth. There is no reason on God's little green earth that Boaz should have moved and looked in her direction, especially looking beyond the women of Jerusalem or of Judea and Bethlehem themselves, except for grace. We are Ruth. And Boaz is our Lord Jesus. Ruth is in this state. And yet she received protection in the field of Boaz. She was invited 
to drink some from the supply of water that was reserved for the reapers. She was invited to share in the meal prepared for Boaz and the reapers. And I, I, I cannot read this passage of Scripture without memories coming in by the ton. One of the most precious things on the farm when we were farming was harvest. And so that we could harvest late in the day, our wives would bring a meal to the field to us. And I just remember those times that we would shut the combine down or the beet digger down and we would just stop and usually climb up in the back of one of the trucks and here would come our wives with this meal and service right there in the field. So when the meal was done, we could get back on the equipment and go till dark. It was a precious time. And we never harvested by ourselves. We always did this with a, with a bunch of neighbors. You know, one had a truck and one had a combine and, and all this stuff. And there may be at times 20 of us that have come together as neighbors and, and we're going to do this field of this farmer and then, then we'll go to the next field and then we'll go to the next field. And for, for a week or two during the harvest time, we're just going from field to field with these men and sharing in the harvest meal at supper time. I, I, I can't explain to you But when I read this, there's just something that comes. It it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful time. It was the very first time I ever had Schwann's ice cream. Was in the harvest field, harvesting grain. And one of the neighbor ladies brought Schwann's ice cream, and I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I didn't know they made ice cream that tasted like that. You see, there's a special grace right now extended to Ruth. She's invited to share in this meal. She's invited to come to the table and eat with Boaz and the reapers. She was invited to tear bread from a common loaf and to dip her bread in the common dish of wine of which all at the table of Boaz partook. This foreigner this widow, this poor woman. She's been invited up to the table just like she's part of the family. And I can't help but thinking in verse 14 where it says, and at mealtime Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And I don't think it's by chance tonight that we're coming to bread and wine tonight. Could this too have been one of those foreshadowings? Joining the master at his table, bread and wine, body and blood. The text goes on to say that she ate till she was satisfied. And you know, there's, a, there's, another, there's a, another beatitude that said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. King James says filled, and that's not a, that's not a great translation. Satisfied is, is better. Because here in another week and a half, we're going to come up to a table and we are going to stuff ourselves. But when it's done, we may not be satisfied. We may go, oh, oh why did I do that? Right? It's not just full. There's a satisfaction here. 
She was filled. She's satisfied. And <clears throat> there's of this roasted grain that they were having along with the bread and the wine. She takes them home for Naomi. Following the meal, Boaz gives his reapers. We lost the screen. Oh, there it is. Okay, we just lost that one. He gives his reapers a special instruction. He said, when you're tying the bundles up, I want you to, on purpose, pull out a handful here and there. And just leave it. And move on. But you're going to leave this extra blessing for Ruth. <laughs> Following the meal, Boaz instructed the reapers to leave behind on purpose plenty of grain for Ruth. Go with me to verse 17. Things change just a little bit here. And that's why I didn't read it at first. But I'll let you sit through this one, okay? So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. You see, when she's gleaning, she's picking up the straw and the head and the whole thing. Gleaning it, she's knocking the straw off, and, and barley has a beard on it, and she's knocking the beard off the barley, so she's just got the grain. And it says that at the end of the day, she had an ephah of barley, two-thirds of a bushel, that's 30 pounds. She harvested 30 pounds of barley that day. And she took it up and went to the city her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satis after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? And blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said, to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. Hang on to that word because we're going to see that a whole bunch more of the rest of the book. Some of your Bibles say kinsman redeemer. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Here comes something that probably sounds strange in our culture again. When Naomi calls Boaz a redeemer, she has something very specific in mind. Because under the Old Testament law, a close relative could redeem a family member who had been sold into slavery. If one of your family members got sold into slavery, another close relative could go pay a ransom, and redeem you. Also, a family member had redemption over land that had been confiscated during a time of economic hardship. 
Somebody's place got foreclosed upon. A family member could go and redeem that land and give it back to its rightful owner. Or the family name would be redeemed by virtue of what is called a leveret marriage. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Mr. Cooley, you better hang on to here too. This is a little strange. <laughs> we had a great talk about Ruth in, in Starbucks the other day. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. This came up to Jesus when the Sadducees came to Jesus and tried to pin him down. And this is the example they used. If brother, 25, 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family of a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. What in the world are they talking about here? Well, I have a brother, okay? And <laughs> I, I, maybe I better not go there. But uh, anyway, what, what the, <laughs> Sandy's shaking her head and says, okay, okay we'll, 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 we'll think of another. What this is saying is there are brothers and they're both married. And one of the brother's wives dies. And the living brother is then to take the widow of the dead brother as his wife and when she bears a son that son will be named after the dead brother so that the name of that brother will not perish and be gone his memory will live on even though it's his brother who ends up being the father of that son he's named after the brother that's dead so the name will live on like i said we don't do a lot of that in our in our culture today I mean, we do a lot of crazier things, probably. But I want, you to say, I want to say this to set up chapters 3 and 4. This is the trump card that Naomi's going to play in chapters 3 and 4. When she said, he is our redeemer, he is one of our redeemers, this is exactly what she had in mind. She's going to go and find her daughter-in-law, a husband but she's going to do it according to the law. Are you with me? Okay. Now, I don't want this to be a spoiler alert, but in this book, Boab, again, is a type of Christ who's going to reach out and redeem Ruth in love. And it's okay if you read chapters 3 and 4. You can read ahead. This is a beautiful Beautiful, beautiful story of God's redeeming love. And I'll tell you what, chapter 3 is great because Naomi, boy, does she play the matchmaker. She goes after it. Verse 21, we'll bring this to an end. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he called me. You shall keep close by my young men until I have finished all my harvest." And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out 
with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. What we're seeing here is Ruth gleaned in the fields of Boaz for probably several weeks through both the barley and the wheat harvest. But I want you to look at something. She didn't do it alone. She did it with companionship. There were other young women that were gleaning with her. She did so with protection. Boaz had instructed his hired men how to deal with this woman, and it was with grace. Naomi says, you stay in this field with Boaz and under his protection, lest in another field you be assaulted. This literally means raped. That this woman in another field as a stranger in the land, as a young woman with some unscrupulous farmhands, that's exactly what this means. She says, you stay here where you will not be assaulted. And at the end of each day, She left with plenty of grain from which her and Naomi could now make their bread. I just want you to see as you go back through this, on several levels, she became a recipient of the manifold grace of God. Ruth received through Boaz our Christ figure, Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Provision, protection, companionship. But I want to invite you to stay tuned because there's more to come. And it just gets better. This evening, We're going to pause over the Lord's Supper. My heart leaped this week when I got to the bread and wine and realized, you know, we were supposed to have communion last Sunday, but we had a guest speaker and we wanted to give him all the time that he could. Did you see that email I sent you from him? Our guest speaker last Sunday was just blown away that we'd given him the whole service. He spoke someplace down in, I think, Carson City or someplace. He got five minutes. And he was blown away that we had let him have the whole service. But uh, we, we put off communion till today just so he could have all that time to do it. But tonight we're coming, and I just don't think it's an accident that Ruth has been invited to the master's table to partake of the bread and wine with the master. And that we tonight have been invited here to the master's table partake of bread and wine with our master. Bread that is a type of our Lord's body that was broken and torn for us. Wine that is a type of his blood that was shed for us in the remission of our sins. Grace upon grace upon grace. And Jesus says, I want you to do this often. I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Because when we partake today of this Lord's Supper that was instituted 
way back yonder, we proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection and a life that is yet to come. Past, present, and future are wrapped up in the bread and the juice tonight. And what we're going to do, we're just going to let you guys sit right there tonight. Brad, would you come? And Jesse, you want to help out here? We're going to pass the elements to you tonight. So first of all, we're going to pass the bread. So if you would receive this, and then we will hang on to it, and we'll partake together. Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. Eat, eat of it often, and when you do, do it in remembrance of me. After they had eaten in like manner, he took a cup and passed it among them. This is the part of the supper that goes somewhere deep inside of me that I can't even explain. For many years, I worked in surgery. And there were times that we had people come in who were bleeding profusely. And there were times that that bleeding was so bad that it, it bled and it bled and they died. 
from lot from the loss of blood and others were able to stem that flow and give them transfusions when jesus was on that cross his strength ebbed from him as blood ran from many wounds on his body to the ground and i am sure like those patients that i watched over the years turn pale and a ghostly pallor until his heart quit beating. As, Jesus, as Jesse said this morning, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that which took his life, the shedding of his blood, now gives us life. One died from the blood loss. And now others live because of that blood loss. I never want to take this lightly because he paid a tremendous price for you and for me. And he says, when you drink, drink it in remembrance.